Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Being a real estate investor can be very lonely. So surround yourself with people that are actively doing it, whether you're an experienced investor or whether you're a newbie. And surround yourself with the people that are doing things that you want to be doing or a couple chapters ahead of you. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Slocum Reed. Today we are joined by Matt Druin. Matt is joining us from just outside Rochester, New York. He's the managing partner at Oak Grove Companies. He has 17 years of experience in real estate investing. His current portfolio is 70% commercial multifamily and 30% non-residential commercial. If you combine the two, they would total to 176 units or just over 500,000 square feet, again, between the multifamily and the non-residential commercial. Matt, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Yeah, 100%. First of all, thanks for you and team having me on. My background is I got into real estate by accident. When I went to college, I went to a state school. I studied business because I thought that business meant making money. And I thought I was going to be a cigar chomping like Gordon Gecko type on Wall Street. I got my slice of humble pie when I graduated from SUNY Geneseo. And I couldn't find a job. This was back in 2006. The best job I could find was as a part-time bank teller at Chase Bank. And I hated that job. I was complaining about it so much to my dad that he made me an offer that I couldn't refuse at that time. And he said, if you get your real estate license, I'll take you under my wing. I'll show you the ropes. I'm not going to give you any business, but I'll allow you to learn the business and grow it if you like it. So I was in sales, residential real estate sales with a local brokerage company. And my story in real estate investing is when my dad ended up giving me the boot, he gave me a few months to move out. It wasn't his life dream to have a 20 something year old living at home, not paying any rent. So he said, you can get an apartment with your friends or you can buy a multifamily property and you can live there and rent out the other units. So that's what I did. I liked the idea of not paying rent because I wasn't (laughs) doing so at that point in time. So I bought a four family, I rented out the three units. My really big aha moment was when I closed in the middle of the month 
And uh, magically in the first of the month, I had 1800 bucks in rent checks sitting in my mailbox from those tenants. It felt wrong. Like I didn't work for it. And I knew how hard I had to work in residential real estate sales, selling low value investment properties for $40,000 a piece in order to make 1800 bucks in commission checks. So that's really where I was hooked. My big destination was I wanted to become financially independent by the time I was 40 years old. My why behind that was because I unfortunately lost both of my parents in my 20s due to health reasons. So here I was, had parents that were loving, did everything the right way, and they passed away. And it was a big wake-up call for me. It was the universe basically slapping me in the face, saying that you're not on earth forever, and tomorrow's not even promised. So I didn't want to do what they did in terms of going the track of working for a company and retiring eventually because they worked like animals and I didn't want to work like an animal. I was okay working hard, but I wanted to have some residual benefits for that. And that's how I found real estate as a result. So I just went gangbusters buying small multifamily, utilizing the Burr strategy before it was even a thing, the buy, rehab, refinance, repeat. I was able to scale the portfolio up to about 76 units. I was financially independent by the time I was 33 years old. And this big goal that I had thinking every day about over the course of 11 years was now a thing on my doorstep. And I ended up suffering from depression as a result of it, because that one thing I thought about for every single day, obsessing over it, I achieved. And I was like, what's next? I was married at the time. My wife was a school teacher. And this big dream that I had of going backpacking through Italy for two months wasn't going to be a thing because she was stuck in a high school math classroom. So I always knew I wanted to go big on doing bigger, larger commercial real estate deals, but I didn't feel like I had the universe's permission to do that. I thought that I had to be big to go big. And so I decided just to be like, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to buy a larger commercial investment property. And that's my next big aha moment is I bought a million dollar commercial office building that one deal alone replaced my wife's income. And then I just started scaling from there because I couldn't go back to what I was doing before. So I just started pushing the envelope from there. And that's where we are today with our company. And basically we buy maybe one to two deals a year and mostly asset class agnostic, mostly in the Rochester, New York or Great Rochester, New York area. And we look for very specific things and we're very picky. So that's what we do today. That's awesome. When did you first get into real estate? 2006. 06. Gotcha. Cool. Man, after my own heart, you got started several years before I did, but very similar trajectory. Started with a house hack, became a residential agent, and here we are having a conversation on the Commercial Real Estate Investing Podcast. Your second conversation on this podcast, I will add, I should have said this in your intro, but Matt was on episode 2507 as well, if you want to look that up from a few years back. So you answered a bunch of my questions right there at the end. I was going to ask where you're buying, and you said primarily in the Rochester area, which makes sense, especially when you are asset class agnostic. Are you operating, self-managing this portfolio? That's a great question. My next job after I started buying commercial real estate deals was to fire myself out of operations. So I found a gentleman by the name of David Martin, who is my partner in Oak Grove Companies. Our first deal together essentially was creating a management company that he would run to run all the assets that I had acquired up until that point. Because I knew that my time was getting sucked into low dollar per hour activities, such as leasing, coordinating maintenance, that sort of thing. 
And I knew that the $1,000 an hour to $10,000 tasks were on the growth front in terms of developing relationships with our investment partners and finding deals for our company to take down. So that's where I wanted to focus 100% of my time because that's where I enjoy it better than maintenance and operations, that sort of thing. So we do self-manage per se, because we have a management company for that. David runs that and I run the growth engine of the company. Yeah, that makes sense. Growth engine of the company, Matt. We're recording in the fourth quarter of 2023. It's been a very interesting year this year for acquisitions. So I want to ask how that's been going for you. You said you typically acquire a couple of properties a year now. Generally speaking, we have a very sophisticated listener base, as you already know, Matt. So we all have a pretty good idea of what's going on in the economy at large, especially commercial multifamily market at large. So I want to ask, where is it that you're seeing opportunities and what kind of growth is it that you're focused on right now, Matt? My background's in multifamily. Love multifamily. It's easy to write business plans for. It's a lot easier to raise the capital for because you have a clear exit strategy. We got squeezed out of that market 2018, 2019 because prices were going crazy and they went crazier after that. So I had background as a director of operations for a national real estate development company after I left brokerage. So I was experienced on turnaround management for every single asset class you could think of for this company. So I saw that there was some market inefficiencies in office, so to speak, after COVID hit. We were able to get great deals on office product, and we bought a few deals in that market at a great basis. The problem was is that then the banking started changing. Banks started to pull back even on great deals, not offering 70 to 80% loan to value, but 50 to 45% loan to value in that market, even when you were getting a smoking hot deal on it. So that's happened within the last nine months, so to speak. So we've actually pulled back on that because we think that there's greater price discovery to happen in the marketplace with that amount of liquidity fleeing out of that product segment. So we're out there making offers. Like I said, we're asset class agnostic. We can do multifamily, industrial, retail. We have all of those product types in our portfolio, but it's a weird place right now. Transaction volume is way down in Rochester. It's down probably about 75%. And we're still getting sent off-market deals from our commercial broker partners, but there's a big disconnect in terms of the bid-ask spread between what we can pay considering the risk-free rate of return, but the expectations from sellers really haven't come in line with that. So we're witnessing the same exact thing that a lot of other operators are across the country, but I think it's very important to stay active and not stay on the sidelines because I think that when you have a contraction, it's important to expand into that contraction and stay active because things will start to normalize and you want to be top of mind with not only your investment partners, but also brokers in the marketplace as well. So we're still out there looking at deals, making offers, but a lot less is sticking than usual. Offers sticking a lot less than usual. That's definitely going to resonate with our listeners, Matt. Priced out of multifamily since before COVID, what is it that you've acquired the last couple of years? What we've acquired over the past couple of years is industrial and office, actually, is what we've acquired over the last couple of years, because that's where we've actually seen the greatest opportunities for us. Our business plan typically is 
our deals or acquisitions have to have enough meat on the bone for us to be able to add a significant amount of value and refinance those properties within less than five years and deliver 100% of the investment capital back to our capital partners. So that's why we're not that active in terms of buying deals like crazy, because we are very, very picky in terms of what we buy. So therefore, that's kind of like what's been happening in our marketplace. And we would buy office again. The most recent deal that we acquired was a 50,000 square foot high rise office building that was occupied by all state agencies on super long-term leases. Those are a super sticky tenant base. And we were able to acquire that at a 9% cap rate based upon in-place occupancy and trailing financials. So it was a great deal. We were able to get attractive financing on that. But what's changed is the banking arena. Because interest rates are higher, a lot of cash has been sucked off of the bank's balance sheets. And they've even become a lot pickier. So we've really been in more observation mode. Like I said, we're still making offers out there. But we are definitely patiently waiting for other opportunities to come down the pike and we're actively pursuing them. When it comes to office, Matt, and the opportunities that you have seen there, the general message, at least that the media is sending, is that the office exodus from COVID is at least partially permanent. Ash Patel, who is a fellow host of this podcast and non-residential commercial real estate investor, has some strong opinions to share and some strong success stories to share as well about where it is the office segment is working. And I'll say I do have one multi-tenant office building that is basically constantly full with a waiting list that also matches Ash Patel's advice about smaller, more like suburban downtown with walkability as opposed to urban core office. For those of our listeners who are only listening, Matt has been doing a lot of smiling while I've been getting ready to ask a question about office. Where is it that you're seeing opportunities in that asset class, Matt? I think that a lot of the fear has subsided out of there. We had a lot of tenants that were hesitant to renew leases until they found out where their workforce was going to shake out. This is the thing is that I do a lot of driving around town because I'm looking at deals and meeting with people and that sort of thing. And the morning, there's still rush hour. In the evening, there's still rush hour. Where are these people going? Are they just pretending to go to work like Michael Douglas from Falling Down, <laughs> to quote a movie? Or are they going to home goods instead of going to an office? Or are they actually going to a place of work? So there still is demand for office. It's just the product type has changed and the work environment has changed. So the sector that we found that has had buoyancy in the environment that we're in is small office typically businesses that are owned by mom and pops. The office segment that has probably suffered the most is like these huge office floor plates that do a lot of administrative back-end type of work. They've lost a lot of their office bodies to hybrid and remote work environments. Additionally, government agencies are still growing and needing office space. Even if there's not bodies in the office, that deal that we did recently, the remaining 10,000 square feet of space in that building, one of the tenants wants it. It's a state agency because they need the additional space. So we definitely have strong demand. I think it's just important to be aware of where the demand is. This is actually a great opportunity when there's fear in the marketplace and when the investing community throws an, an entire asset class, out, like a baby out with a bathwater. That's one of those things where you zig when they zag. It's like, okay, is there actual opportunity here to capitalize? 
on. And I think that for the long term, Office is probably going to look different than what we've seen in the past, but there's still going to be a demand for it. You just have to be aware of the market environment of wherever you're investing. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com. Smaller office complexes, smaller office suites, targeting more so mom and pop type businesses throwing my minimal experience in here as well individual white collar professionals who need a professional place to meet with clients that's where my success has come in a neighborhood that has a lot of those white collar professionals living in it here but also walkable to interesting shops and restaurants assuming all of your office properties are in the Rochester area, are they focused in a particular submarket or type of submarket? Are we talking downtown? Are we talking suburbs? Is it all over the place? We've actually found the greatest amount of opportunity in our downtown urban core from an office standpoint. Really, I think that you buy a margin of safety when you're buying something at a substantial discount to replacement cost and also just getting a great deal on it. So for instance, a deal that we closed on, it was an 11-story high-rise office building, about 65,000 square feet. We bought that deal about a year and a half ago for $1.5 million. It was about 50% occupied at the time we bought it. Still cash flowing based upon 50% occupancy. That's how good of a deal we got on it. And we just saw that the former ownership group wasn't really aggressive about leasing up space of their building. And we saw in our other buildings that we were having a significant amount of demand for the similar type of office space. So we're able to bring that property over a 12-month period from 50% occupancy to 80% occupancy and push the value in that asset from 1.5 million to 3.25 million in the course of 12 months. And was able to refinance that property and get 100% of our investors' capital back to them. So I definitely think that there's opportunities out there in that space. And I think that in the urban core, I think it really depends upon the geography. We have probably about a billion dollars worth of public and private investment that is being invested right now into the downtown urban core of Rochester. There's a Fortune 500 company, Constellation Brands, which is putting their world headquarters in right behind our building and relocating about 500 employees, which is big for a tertiary market like Rochester. But I can see in other markets, I have colleagues that are doing relatively well in the suburban office market space. I just think that you can't apply a one size fits all to every single asset class. You have to really have a deep, rich understanding of 
your market and really what makes it tick to make informed decisions on where you're going to place your capital. A couple of really interesting points there, Matt. The vast majority of our listeners are not invested in or investing in Rochester, New York. But there are other markets, tertiary and otherwise, across the United States that will feel similar in a lot of ways. I understand you've already partially answered this question. I'd like to phrase it in a little more targeted manner, though. Why is it that downtown office is working specific to the deals that you're buying in Rochester, New York? Is it just the discount on replacement cost? Is it because of other redevelopment and sociocultural changing activity, lifestyle changes happening in Rochester and the way that people look at downtown? Why is it that office is working there right now? One, I think, is the type of unit mix that's at the office that we are acquiring. These are smaller offices, typically less than 3,000 square feet. So that's one. We find a weakness in that 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 square foot office floor plates. That being said, if we look at a deal that has 20,000 square foot of contiguous vacancy, we're going to look at how easy is it to subdivide this down into the smaller office footprints that are actually in demand in this marketplace. So we'll look at deals that way as well. I think it's a confluence of many factors. The amount of public and private investment that's happening in downtown Rochester and across other similar type of Rust Belt cities throughout the country, but also the combination of smaller office space. Additionally, when we looked at this deal originally, our plan A was to reposition the property as an office building. But our plan B, if our thesis didn't work out, we were at enough of a good cost basis on the property in terms of us buying it at a million and a half for a 65,000 square foot office space that we would be able to do a residential conversion as a plan B and be able to make the numbers work on that and be advantageous for our partners on that deal. So that's the way we're looking at all of these office deals. All right. Is it a pretty looking building? Does it have historic value? Is it something that has curb appeal? Some of these office buildings that you might be able to buy real cheap may have really, really thick floor plates that don't have a lot of access to windows. Not going to be a great conversion to residential. That's what it comes to. Also, does the building actually look like, would I be interested in living here? Would I be proud to call this my home? These are some of the factors that we take into consideration when we're acquiring deals. So we always have to have a plan A, but also a plan B exit strategy if our thesis doesn't end up panning out. And that's how we look at every deal. That makes a lot of sense. Matt, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Absolutely, I'm ready. What is the best ever book that you recently read? Best ever book that I most recently read was Am I Being Too Subtle by the late Sam Sam Zell. Yeah, that's a great one. What is your best ever way to give back? I volunteer as president for a local real estate investors association. That takes up a lot of my time, about 20 to 30 hours a month. So that's a volunteer position that I do. And I find that the way I love to give back is through how I can leverage my experience to bring value to others and give that because our community, I've seen what real estate investing has done for myself and my family and our trajectory. And I want to be able to spread the word and be evangelical about it and also give the community and resources for other people to do that as well. 
Matt, on properties that you have acquired, what is the biggest mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that resulted from it? So I'd say the biggest, most painful mistake that I've made recently, because I make mistakes all the time, I think is when I bought a apartment deal, I didn't know what I was doing in terms of multifamily underwriting. I didn't understand commercial appraisals at that time. So I bought an 11 unit deal and I didn't underwrite it right. And it resulted in me having to write a six figure check at closing in order to take my hard money lender out. So that was definitely very painful. And at that point in time, I decided to get serious about understanding commercial appraisals. So I became a geek and I talked to every commercial appraiser in town that I could get my hands on getting in contact and building a relationship with so that I would never have to repeat that mistake again. And what is your best ever advice? My best ever advice is, I know a lot of people say, get started sooner. I'd say that being a real estate investor can be very lonely. So surround yourself with people that are actively doing it, whether you're an experienced investor or whether you're a newbie and surround yourself with the people that are doing things that you wanna be doing or a couple chapters ahead of you. So if you wanna get into larger commercial multifamily, hang out with those people, get obsessed with that aspiration for yourself. Because the more you surround yourself with it, the more you listen to shows like this, for instance, it just becomes a lot more real and you feel a lot less lonely. And just through the law of averages, you will achieve that if you set your mind to it and take intentional and consistent action to achieve those things. Last question, where can people get in touch with you? I do a podcast as well. I got inspired to do a podcast by Joe Fairless and your team. It's called the Go Big Live Real Estate Investors Podcast. This is one where I interview active real estate investors and how exactly they did their first big commercial real estate deal in excruciating detail. And also I have a live Q&A with my guests in the podcast as well. So that's probably the best way to stay in touch with me is to look me up on Facebook. I'd be happy to share that and get access to our live Q&A sessions with uh, the real estate titans out there so people can raise their thermostat and raise the bar for themselves if they want to go into the larger deal space. Nice. Those links are in the show notes. Matt, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend you know we can add value to through our conversation today. Thank you and have a best ever day. Thanks, Logan. Hi, Best Ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and Best Ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the Best Ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.